Well, hello again, I'm Pastor Mike, and I'm here with Michael. Uh, again, um, I've asked him to review this paper I've written. It can be found at uh, bit.ly, bit.ly, dash Sola Scriptura Manifesto. Um, and um, essentially, we're just going to talk about whatever thoughts you have to share about the paper. So, Michael, uh, take a few minutes, just kind of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background, and uh, then we can get started. Sure. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, I am um, a, a adjunct professor in Southern California. My background is in uh, community organizing, nonprofit management, and my academic background is in contextualization and world Christianity. And so that was um, a bit of the lens that I brought to uh, to this paper. Okay. Um, if uh, I mean, I know you have, but if your listeners have listened to, to uh, Joshua Barron's presentation, I, I, I watched his because we've worked together a bit mm -hmm. in the past, and uh, he, he stole my lines. Um, <laughs> um, that, that I really enjoyed uh, uh, that conversation, and, and I, I think the overlap that we've had in, in world Christianity especially um, brings some of those epistemological and hermeneutical questions to the forefront. So. Um, uh, I, I appreciated everything that he had to say. Um, I haven't had a chance to um, listen to the other commentators yet, okay. um, but that, that was uh, one, one that I enjoyed. Um, for a bit of reference about myself, um, I am in, your, in the categories, the epistemological categories that you use, I'm probably somewhere between neo-orthodox and liberal. Okay. In my... Um, in my treatment of, of scripture. Um, I am not a sola scriptura person yeah. myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I am also not reformed. So um, that kind of that gives you a little bit of theological context um, for how I work through the paper, or if that leads you to some more questions, that's, that's Great. No, that's that's great. I'm actually kind of glad because I think I've kind of talked to more of the conservative side of things. So I'm, mm -hmm. I, today I even dialogued with some atheists, and I want to get like the opposite perspective as well. Um, so I'll let you like if you want to share something, I'll let you share first, and then I'd like to come back and kind of get a feel to see if what you thought about the categories, if you feel like they were working for you, if we need to make some changes, and all that stuff as well. So go ahead. Thanks. Um... Well, I, I appreciate what you're what you are trying to do, and that is what I what I appreciate about what you're trying to do is that trying to get clarity about epistemology, and that and then that through clarity about our starting points, we can have a better relationships with people who are different mm -hmm. from from our thinking. Um, and I think that that is something that is is necessary in in a diverse church um, that. And Joshua touched on this, but in within world Christianity, you're going to have Christians who have different different ways of thinking. We are not a single type yeah. uh, of person, and that's what makes humanity and the world and the church uh, so so wonderful. Um, that we can we can be open to what the Spirit is teaching other people and allow that to teach us as well. So I appreciate that, that you're trying to. To dig into the machine, um, uh, that to figure out how that works, um, you identified early on that um, the question we are asking is: What basis do the various models have in Christianity for arriving at their conclusions? To determine this, we need to look at the authoritative truth sources, the relative priority assigned to each of these, and the methods. And I think that 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 really um, zeroed in for me that, that what you're trying to do is you're trying to distinguish source, priority, and method mm -hmm. in, in your paper. Um, I, if, if, I'm, if I'm reading, if I'm trying to understand you through the paper, um, there's that type of analytical um, mind that, that if we can get to the, the core um, and really know source, priority, and method, then we can understand ourselves, we can understand each other, and, and that that can cause less, uh, less confusion less less friction in our in our work um, and and you i think that you do you spend most of your paper talking about source yeah 
um, that uh, that we that we need to, like you said we need to look at the authoritative truth sources being used. Um, where I would where I would differ, um, but this isn't my paper, has to do with priority, mm-hmm. um, and because we we do broadly speaking share the share a source when we're talking about scripture. Yeah. Um, fundamentalists, Protestants, Catholics, um, neo-Orthodox, and liberal, like all, all of those categories share a source yeah. in, in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, canon will vary in traditions, of course, um, but we share that source. However, we, tr- we our priority about how we um, evaluate and interpret differs. Um, and so, and then in method that gets more into the hermeneutic side, um, you know, how, how do, in, in how we do what we do with that. Um, and so I, yeah. that, that, that would probably be my, my, like where I would primarily diverge from you um, okay. would be spending more time in priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that would be, that would be an area for you to, to grow this paper is to, is to, 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 look at those different categories that you've named Christian traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, um, th- that you're identifying their priority. And I'll close that and see where, see where we go. Yeah, so uh, I mean, maybe I'll let you finish your, all your thoughts and then come back to this. But I, what I would like to hear is from your perspective, how would you define the categories? Because hmm. I do agree with you. Everybody uses a scripture, but the way they view the scripture is different. Mm-hmm. And I have some understanding of like maybe the more modern side of Christianity, but because I didn't grow up in that tradition, I'm, I'm not fully immersed in it enough to like fully wrap my mind around it. So maybe that's something you could kind of, kind of give me your, your perspective on it. Yeah. Um... Well, it might be useful to um, uh, an, another model that that I that I think um, gets into this is the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Yeah. Um, that it's it's asking a similar question. Um, you know, how do we how do we define and distinguish um, our scripture, reason, experience, and tradition? Mm-hmm. Um, and just like you have your um, your slider buttons. Um, mm-hmm. They, they would have their quadrilateral um, as, as their image for that. Um, and so I, I, I think that spending a little bit of time with that about how your model of, how your model is seeking to differentiate epistemologies, um, how, how that's different from something that's more well-known um, like the quadrilateral um, would be useful, or at least recognizing that there are other models, but they may have their limitations. Yeah. Um, and if, if you're working within a, a tradition that has a, a higher regard for sola scriptura, um, then it, it might be that you're, you're trying to understand more about that piece of the quadrilater- quadrilateral. Yeah. What do we mean when we talk about scripture? Um, and, but I think that, so I think that that's, um, uh, that's where being able to define the approaches I'm on, um, I think it's page six or seven, you have a, um, a graph of degree of biblical inspiration and you, you summarize very briefly what you mean by um, each of these positions um, that, that, um, that you could speak a little bit more into how they prioritize their, um, their epistemology or how they epistemize or sorry made a verb out of that how they prioritize the different parts of their epistemology yeah that it's a combination of scripture experience reason tradition um context questions um and all that and i i also it may just be something that i'm more sensitive to um as a in, in your paper as a liberal Christian, mm-hmm. um, that a common, a common, uh, caricature of liberal Christians is that we don't care about the Bible, yeah. um, or that we don't listen to the Bible. And it's not true, mm-hmm. but our, our approach and understanding of, of what scripture is and how it functions is different than f- 
fundamentalists, like, to be the, the furthest possible, <laughs> um, the way that we as liberals, um, and it's a, uh, the way that we as liberals use the Bible is never going to satisfy a fundamentalist. Yeah. The same way that the way that a fundamentalist reads the Bible is never going to satisfy a, a neo-orthodox or liberal Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, um, and, and that's where I, and that's where I think being able to, rather than than distinguishing so much about different sources, you can you can identify these are the priorities that they give to their to this or because of their priorities, this is how they how their source is affected. Okay. Or and that. But knowing that you are, um, you know, you're trying to get to this core of epistemology, um, that that the you you would need to make the case that that they really that they're more different than they are similar, um, and you get in, you make that argument historically um, that that um, Platonic epistemology um, is different than our con- a contemporary Western scientific cosmology, Um, because those things are so different, um, it's easy to see that they're, how they they operate. Um, Joshua makes the point in talking about um, an African uh, epistemology um, and how that's different. Um, But he would say too, that even like there is no singular African epistemology, there are many epistemologies Mm -hmm. um, uh, within our African umbrella. So, sorry, you make the point historically to say, look at at, um, Platonism, look at medieval epistemology, look at contemporary epistemology. Um, The finer point will be in the 21st century, how, how different are epistemologies that we're making um, that we're distinguishing on, mm-hmm. and that that's going to become more of a contextualization question, um, which is what fascinates me. Um, I mean, that's that's my area of of ministry and and um, and research, and that once you get into that contextualization side of it, um, I I think that you'll find some uh, you'll, you'll be able to put a finer point on what you mean in differentiating between so, between source. Um, but also being able to see where sources just be the same source is being used in different ways. The um, sorry, my my notes went away. Um, this is kind of a small note um, that that back on page two where you have the the slider buttons um, uh, another way that uh, to visualize this because you talk about bible tradition philosophy community science experience and other um, another way to visualize that could be through um, a radar chart um, a, that could could make for a very compelling visualization Mm-hmm. Um, especially, particularly because you can compare those to each other, um, and it's going to give you more of a. Um, it's still a two-dimensional chart, yeah. but it's going to look. It, it's going to to show differences much more starkly. So, um, so a radar chart um, that, where you, it, it might be useful um, as you're describing. Um, fundamentalist, Protestant, Catholic. Um, neo-orthodox, liberal, atheist, um, to try and to try and score these seven things, one to ten, mm-hmm. you know, and you can plot that on a radar chart, or you could, I mean, you could use the one that you use use now, and you'd be able to see that you that you might see, you know, fundamentalist, their their Bible is very high, their science is very low, yeah. their experience is very low, um, you know, so. And, and that's going to show you differently than liberal Christian, where Bible might be, we'll say a four out of 10. Um, tradition, a four out of 10. Philosophy, an eight out of 10. Community, a nine out of 10. You know, like, and that's going to show you that, that one chart looks like this, mm-hmm. 
and the other chart looks like this. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's that can help make your case for um, why why these groups don't see eye to eye. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, that, that's a great idea. Uh, I mean, I, I was kind of hinting at that by having the the buttons there, but I, I if I had plotted them out, it would have made a lot more sense, right? And I think especially as you're as you are defining the problem early on, that yeah. can be useful. Yeah. Um, that um, that. It, because you give the you give the illustration, you say one way that you could understand it is this, but then you don't show us. Yeah. Um, and um, and then I mean, from each of those groups, um, I mean, it, it it can be an exercise to 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 see um, how how well you are representing those groups. Um, to ha to have someone who would be a self-identified neo-orthodox person, mm -hmm. um, you know let them score themselves <laughs> or let them score their tradition. Um, uh, let a Catholic, a, let a contemporary Catholic score their tradition. Um, and, and I, cause I think you'll see those people can be self-critical enough to, to know what their, their positive in. I don't mm -hmm. think anyone would give themselves a 10 out of 10 on all seven categories. Yeah. Um, uh, and you would also, I think you would also then start to see um, in that scoring level, I'm, now I'm thinking of the data side of it, that you know, if you were to, what differences would you see in that type of data between um, generationally, what types of differences would you see based on social location, based on uh, na nation of origin? Mm -hmm. um, what would you see different between clergy and lay people? Yeah. Um, you know, all of these differences that, that, we, that we might see. I mean, now it's becoming a much bigger data project yeah, than, exactly. <laughs> than you intend. It's but, a great project. Yeah, but, I, but I think especially, um, I mean, it would demonstrate that you have done the research into these um, uh, categories yeah. that, that you know, that you'd be able to, to um, describe them in enough detail that people could see themselves in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that um, and, I, and I think that, that, again, kind of takes the project from being historical analysis to being more um, more contemporary mm -hmm. and and that there's there's a there's enough diversity in the church today and will continue for the next century to be a, a diverse church that um, we need this type of information we need this type of, of um, research and reflection to deal with our contemporary church yeah um, not not to to argue historical theology mm -hmm. um, and that's that's where I think it can be a lot of fun anyway that um, uh, and, and can give us ways to to reach out and work together um, understand each other better or understand where where we're missing each other mm -hmm. that um, that if I have I have some great friends who I would consider them fundamentalists and I, I just know that when we um, when we are discussing when we're just when we're discussing theology or discussing ministry that that the there because we arrive at our conclusions in different ways um if we don't acknowledge those things we just end up talking in circles yeah um, but that that shouldn't keep us from fellowship that shouldn't keep us from doing ministry together we we just need to know we need to have clarity about where we where we misalign yeah. and that's where i think that's where i think graphically um it can it can help show that and, um, and, and particularly that, that um, you do the work or, or, or enlist people who would identify with those traditions, um, that they would see themselves in, in those char characterizations. Yeah. Hey, th this is great, Michael. You know, you're the first, fourth person I've talked to so far uh, in this medium. And everyone I've talked to so far seems to have grasped that concept, which for me, it's like a big thing because I've talked to hundreds of people over the years and it's, it's been very hard to, ha to have people get it. And somehow, for whatever reason, you guys got it. And you, you kind of see the value of, of thinking along this line. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Because it's like, it's not an easy thing to, to explain, you know, because it's, it's somewhat esoteric, somewhat, somewhat abstract. You know, people don't always have the patience to follow all this different historical pathways that happen and all this stuff. But I think it's beneficial to like get a sense of this stuff and to understand the differences. And, and if for no other reason, 
just like you said, I mean, you're sitting there talking to your friends and you could be arguing for the next five weeks or whatever back and forth. When in fact, you know, you could know from the very beginning that you're never going to reach a conclusion until people evaluate their epistemologies. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So it's kind of, we could bypass all that and just get to the point, so to speak. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. Go, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, I, I think part of it is, um, I mean, you, you asked this question, you, I mean, you, this invitation went out to a pretty diverse theological community. Yeah. And so the, um, uh, and, and you've seen conversations that we've had in, in that Facebook group um, where a lot of the, um, a lot of the friction is because we're not coming from the same place. Yeah. Um, and, and we might end up arguing with each other to no conclusion because you know we're, we're, we're looking in opposite directions to start with, so we're never gonna see eye to eye. Yeah, exactly. um, and I, I, I mean, to, to bring an example um, of that into, the, the, um, into your paper, um, something that from my tradition really stands out to me is when you use uh, gendered language for God. Mm -hmm. Talk about about he. Um, that um, that that's that's a major major issue for me. Yeah. And um, and I know that it's not I know that it's not the purpose of your paper to yeah. um, you're not talking about the gender of God. Yeah. Um, but it that can become an epistemological mm -hmm. issue um, because someone will say, well, the Bible says he, when really they mean my English translation yeah. says he. Um, I mean, they, or they, they can say the, the Greek and Hebrew are a masculine word, in which case I'll respond and say, well, there's, there's the, the Hebrew that's, that's feminine, yeah. um, that, that um, you know, there's, there's social constructs about gender, there's social yeah. constructs about power, um, that, we're, that we're, using, um, we're using the same source, but different mm -hmm. epistemology, and a lot of that comes Ultimately, a lot of that doesn't come down to how we treat scripture. It comes down to how we treat tradition, yeah. Um, yeah. in and 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 how we treat our own our own culture and, and language. Yeah, that kind of stuff would have gotten cleaned up if I spent a little more time editing. But because I'm just kind of yeah. the person where I put my ideas down and then move on and go on to the next thing, I, I let those slip. But I know exactly what you're saying. I got my one of my uh, I guess my my MDiv. At a, at a university that was pretty big on that. So <laughs> I had a teacher that basically told us, if you use gender language for God, you're never gonna get anything in my class. So when you put it that way, we were pretty careful on the papers, but without somebody breathing, yeah. it, it's kind of like. And that was and that was similar for me too. I, I did my um, graduate work at Fuller Theological Seminary. Yeah. And, and that was one of, that was part of their style guide that if, that, that if you use gender language or in your, your papers or in your, your thesis dissertation, um, that, that, that wasn't acceptable, not just, not just, um, theological gender language, but under any gender language. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it, but even being in that environment, um, it didn't really connect with me until I became more involved in my church tradition, um, that, um, ordains women, supports women in ministry, yeah. is led by women, um, that it became more of a, um, more of a concern for me that, that I had an abstract idea of it, but when you're, once you're in a community with people where your, your language means, means more than just what you're saying, um, yeah. it, it, it can be more. And I, and I think that's part of where, um, as you're trying to disentangle, like what is, what is source, what is priority, what is method? Um, that that we can get get through more of those things because if we don't unravel that, then we're always making assumptions about what the other person means. That 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 I could read what you write and say, oh, he's using this masculine um, uh, typology for God. He must be misogynistic. He must be um, uh, traditional. He must be um, uh, you know fixated. He, that he's obviously using these words on purpose because he has an androcentric view of god mm -hmm. um and and that may not be the case but the, i've arrived at my understanding through through my source priority and method <laughs> differently than you've arrived at your source priority and method mm -hmm. uh, and that's where um where the the i think the importance of of, of having a process to gain clarity is is significant as well as the humility for us to to 
think through our, um, have clarity for ourselves, why we were doing it the way that we're doing it. Um, so I, I, I mean, I have a note in there just to check that. And it sounds like you're already checking that, but I know this isn't your final paper that you're, <laughs> that you're submitting. Um, that, and there's a few notes like that. Um, uh, there's a few times where you talk about the church universal, um, mm -hmm. where you can be a little more specific. Like you're talking about the Catholic, the Roman Catholic church, yeah. um, where just to, to really zero in um, on, to have specificity um, mm -hmm. when you're describing a group. Um, and I, I mean, like you mentioned this, you were trying to, you were getting your ideas down. So I'm not, I'm not a copy editor. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to stop on that. Hey, can um, I ask you, uh, I, yeah. I just realized that I had multiple versions of the paper uh, and at different places. Do you okay. have one that has an appendix or it doesn't? An appendix, I don't think so. Okay. No, no I, 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 okay. Now I lost my place in my notes. Oh, um, no. uh, you made a good point on, um, well now if it's different, different um, papers, it might not be the same page number. No, it's the um, same paper, but one of them had an appendix and then the other one did. And I just noticed that because I was talking to somebody today and they had okay. a lot of extra stuff that I didn't expect. Um, page, page four um, in the second paragraph, you, you talk about, um, uh, I think you're talking about the development of, of reason. And you talk about the um, shift away from scriptural authority in the age of enlightenment and scientific revolution. Yeah. And I, I think there's a point to be made there that epistemology is not solely a religious issue, mm -hmm. um, that our religious epistemology happens in relationship to our social epistemology. And that, um, and this might be the, an issue of secularization that, um, that we, as our social epistemologies are growing and changing, our religious epistemologies can struggle to catch up with that, mm -hmm. um, or struggle to incorporate that well. Um, the, this would be um, the difference between um, what you'd call syncretism and critical contextualization. Um, that um, how well do you, how well does the how well does your religious epistemology how well does the Christian faith adapt correctly? <laughs> adapt in a healthy way to your cultural differences. Um, and, and I think that that could be a point. I mean, it, it again kind of underscores what is your source? What is your priority? What is your method? Um, but I thought that it, I thought that it was good. You could develop that a little bit more um, that, but I'm glad that you at least you, you recognized here on page four that um, it's, it, it's not just epistemology is not just a religious issue. Um, again, it's, pretty historical. Um, you're talking about the Age of Enlightenment and the Scientific Revolution. Mm -hmm. um, there are more recent epistemological shifts that um, might be more more relevant, even if they're not as, as big. Um, mm -hmm. I think that the, I mean, these big ones are important to, to recognize because we're obviously still affected by the Enlightenment and the Scientific Revolution. Um, those are just, those are such big changes in our, our self-conceptualization um, as a people that, uh, that more recent ones, um, I think we'll, we'll speak into that, and more recent ones that um, I think can, can help people to see how they are individually affected mm -hmm. by epistemology, um, that, um, um, I know for my um, for for my parents' generation, um, for baby boomers, um, the the Cold War was an event that set for them a certain epistemology of their their understanding of how they related to the world. Um, that that led that epistemology understanding that that way of processing knowledge in in relationship of geopolitical powers cause them to read scripture in a certain way, cause them to ask certain questions of their faith and cause them to practice their faith in a certain way that were not the same for me. Um, I mean, for, for me, the, or for my generation, we would have um, epistemological events 
in relationship to globalization, um, global terror. Um, now we have, I mean, and then um, uh, my kids will have epistemological effects based on climate um, and democracy. Um, that, so the, the, um, that, that being able to, it's important to have these big ones, um, but that can also, I think that we can detach a bit from them because the enlightenment and the scientific revolution, that's the water we swim in. And uh, Joshua did a good job of explaining um, some of the um, uh, African epistemology and how that's, or traditional African epistemologies. Um, and that can give us a good idea um, of the difference. But if you're speaking to a mostly Western audience with this paper, um, the scientific revolution, the age of enlightenment, that's, it's such a baseline for us that it's hard to see how that really affects our epistemology mm. without making a with, without making a, a caricature of well hundreds of years ago before electricity before modern medicine um people's epistemology was x y and z um that you, that you could bring up a few more recent recent examples or examples for yourself about um uh the things that have shaped you to see the world in a certain way um or caused you to um things that have, have shaped your epistemology differently than someone who's one degree removed from you, whether that's generationally or geographically, culturally, linguistically. Um, uh, you know, that, that's an interesting thought that I don't know if I, I can develop on the spot right now. I might have to think about it for a bit and come back and maybe even, uh, I don't know, maybe send you a, a text at some point and talk about it a little more. But um, so when, when I've thought about epistemology, uh, I guess there's different layers of it because you know the the first part of the paper deals with epistemology at the surface level like okay here the church makes the decision here it's about scripture here it's about reason and so on but that, towards the end of the paper i went to a, a lower level where i talked about just even concepts of how knowledge works you know the classical concept is that there's there's something there's a part of us as human beings that is connected to God and knowledge comes directly from God to our soul, mm -hmm. to our minds, as opposed to like empirical study and all the stuff that we take more seriously today and, and all these things. So there's different, different uh, hypotheses regarding the, the process of, of knowledge acquiring. Um, so I think one of the big shifts between uh, the Enlightenment and, and, and today is, is kind of the postmodern era where, where there's this sort of, you know, the Enlightenment had this, this sense that, you know, now that we figured out how to do science, we can figure out everything pretty much. So there was this very optimistic yeah. attitude towards, towards knowledge. While, you know, the last century or so and the closer we come to the present, people realize that, hey, maybe we are kind of overestimating where, where all this, new tools we have for, would be able to, to bring us and we're kind of at a point right now. And it's not everybody. I mean, scientists, a lot of scientists still seem to have this, this sort of optimistic attitude regarding our ability to, to continue to grow in knowledge, while some of the philosophers seem to, to have the sense that maybe we, you know, knowledge-wise, maybe we're not going to know. Maybe we're kind of stuck in this, in this epistemic void or limitation or something that's going to prevent us from... Yeah from fully grasping, but you're talking about, you know, you're talking, you mentioned the Cold War, you mentioned uh, global warming and all these things. So I almost feel like that's kind of a middle layer between this this bottom layer I'm talking about and the superficial mm. layer I was talking about earlier. Yeah. So I gotta think and, about that plays into it. Yeah, and that and, and that might be useful to, to differentiate some of those things um, that, I mean, again, it gets into to degrees of epistem degrees of epistemology maybe um, that, that even with, that you're trying to get down to the, to that, that base level, um, and, um, I'm, I'm not sure if we, I'm not sure if we do have a, I'm, I'm thinking anthropologically at the moment, um, <laughs> I'm not sure if we have a, a universal epistemology to get to. Um, um, I, or that that we, we wouldn't be satisfied by by whatever like I mean that if we would say at the base layer we are animals 
and our epistemology is what we sense mm -hmm. and what our what our neurons tell us. Yeah. I don't think that I don't think that as Christian theologians we're satisfied with that answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and so to, to try and get to what, what are what are the core things that 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 you might get down to a few a few core things that there's a um, you know a, a Western epistemology there is a um, an African epistemology I mean if we're speaking in broad terms um, uh, th that that can, can can see things in similar but not quite the same um, I was thinking about um, I'll I'll put a put a tie that one up. Um, I was thinking about, as you were talking about um, the difference between the Enlightenment and postmodernism, um, the, the image that came to mind for me was um, uh, if, if modernism, if the Enlightenment gave us the, gave us the tool of a microscope, and so we believed that, that we, could, we could figure out exactly how things worked because we had a microscope, um, that postmodernism was us realizing that we had put our thumbprint on the, on the lens, um, and that, <laughs> that the... Yeah. That the um, but there's still things that we can learn um, with with the tool of the microscope, but we have to recognize that that we we have smudged it before we looked, mm -hmm. and and part of of understanding through the microscope as a as a postmodern um, as a postmodern theologian is understanding mm -hmm. what is our smudge and what is what we're actually looking at, um, and that. Um, and that, and that we, again, we have the humility to to recognize um, this was my smudge, um, or um, the person that I'm reading, this was their smudge, um, and that's why we need to. That's why we need more people looking at, looking through their microscopes. Um, uh, to maybe for the theologian, we, sh we should say a telescope instead. That um, uh, that uh, that that uh, that we have to account for our. Um, our own self in that process, yeah. um, which is, I mean, pr probably what I would get to um, when you when you described um, uh, when you're describing the 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 different types of of biblical ins inspiration that um, to talk about liberal Christianity, um, that's probably what I would try and, and emphasize in there is more so than than experience. Um, we're trying to account for our own limitation uh, and we're trying to account for our own um, our own our own context our own culture uh, yeah, so, and, and, and the cultures of others so, so that i'll work on that metaphor a little bit more but <laughs> but 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 it i think it can be useful for us i mean the way that you described the enlightenment i think was was right on that that it caused a belief in in um in the the thinking class of society that it, it caused belief that that we can figure this out. We have, um, and and for Christians in the Enlightenment, it was God has given us the reason we can figure this out. Yeah. Um, and with the with with the right tools, the right questions, we can we can get to the bottom of this. Um, and that um, is not. I don't think that that is is wrong necessarily. Um, and it's not unchristian to believe that God has given us a mind and creativity and tools. Um, but it, again, it kind of speaks to, into the, the, the manner in which we understand ourselves is what leads us to our epistemology. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, one of the things I, I want to do is to be fair to, to each of these groups in, in how I describe them. Um, but it, it's, to me, it seems like a, a very complex task because for one thing, it's not a uniform group. I mean, there, there's people that see yeah. themselves very differently, but there does seem to be like, you know, if, if we describe liberalism, for example, and we describe traditional Protestantism, there does seem to be something in the middle that, that's more like new orthodoxy. There seems to be a, a bridge in the middle. So. Like if you step far away, you could you could see a concentration of data points here and a concentration of data points here and one here, but when you're close, there's it's more like a spectrum, like like things just kind of blend all the way through, you know. So I yeah. think uh, the separation is useful for us to be able to have a meaningful conversation, but at the same time, it's it's always going to step on somebody's toes because they see themselves slightly more this way and that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's and there there's there's words that you might use to define a group that I have a different connotation for those words. Okay. Um, and even even the word the word liberal. Um, yeah. In a in a philosophical sense, that means something. Um, uh, that that you may not mean. That that I may read or that anyone might might read in a in a way that doesn't is not as clear as you you mean to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, I'm kind of dependent on uh, you know some of the the popular historians and the classifications they make. Yeah. I mean, if you pick up a history book like Christian theology, the past two thousand years, they're going to mention New Orthodoxy. They're going to mention yeah. that. So that's just kind of how it's been divided. And I think that that's that if I think that like and because I I don't want to get too bogged down in this because the the point of your paper is not to establish classifications. Yeah. Um. It's it's to illustrate why this is important. Um. That if you can if you can find a typology a typology that works for you, use it and just say that you know I'm using this scholar's yeah. categorization. Yeah. Um, they define these terms as A, B, and C, um, and then a footnote, you know, yeah. or like yeah. other scholars distinguish, but as this, <laughs> um, that, um, uh, yeah, so because the, the main thing I, you know, the main thing you want to be aware of in that is that that whoever you're choosing or that you're you're you are reading, you are researching that from enough perspective that you don't have. You know, three fundamentalists describing what postmodernism is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that obviously that makes makes sense. Yeah, the one of the things is that even though people make these categorizations, a lot of the times they're not doing it from an epistemological perspective. They're coming at it from a, a, a different uh, method of classification. They're looking for other criteria by which they divide the groups. Mm -hmm. um, so. That's somewhat of a difference. So even though I'm using other people's classifications, I'm not using it exactly as them because I'm looking at it in terms of like, what exactly are these people doing when they do their theology? How are they reasoning through the process? You know. Yeah. So um, just back to what you were saying earlier, I think one of the key aspects of a more liberal theology is the uncertainty factor. There's sort of an acknowledgement of uncertainty. Uh, and for me, that's a hard one to work with because to have pure uncertainty, you'd have to be an agnostic. So there is uncertainty, but there's a limit to the uncertainty because otherwise you wouldn't be able to differentiate yourself from somebody that just says, I don't know anything. You know, I have no idea about anything metaphysical, you know? And I don't quite understand the logic of, of where people draw the line and what they know and what they don't know and all that stuff, but. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I can see how that would, um, particularly because you're, I mean, you're, the whole project is about knowledge <laughs> um that the that that might be one of the one of the tools that you use is um is how how comfortable a tradition is with ambiguity mm -hmm. um that yeah. I, and i'd say maybe the another way of framing that is how how um how much a tradition views themselves as objective mm -hmm. in their their ability um, and th I mean this is left over from from our enlightenment age is this belief that our human reason can be pure yeah. and that we as as um, scientists of the scripture um, or scientists of the sacred um, can be pure laboratory instruments mm -hmm. and that um, that's as a as a postmodern liberal person, <laughs> I just have doubt about that. Yeah. Um, uh, and but because I because I'm not committed to that ideological position, it allows me to to um, incorporate more perspective and, um, or appreciate people even if they're not entirely. If, if they're not entirely accurate. Um, uh, and it, it, you, you get to this point um, in your, and would approach scripture the same way that, that um, I don't need a scientific accuracy in, in, um, in scripture 
for it to be true. Yeah, because yeah, um, I, I, and and you get in, you use the term um, limited errancy, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, that so e even there there's it, there's a um, uh, there there's a sense that even within inerrancy there's some ambiguity. <laughs> um, <laughs> That uh, an oxymoron, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but but that the um, but for but if if you're with if you have an ideology that doesn't require perfection, mm -hmm. doesn't expect perfection, yeah. then you're not dependent on that in order to determine truth. Um, because I'm not reformed, for example, um, I don't have a I don't expect a theological perfection yeah. um, in, in, in theodicy yeah. um, that um, yeah, I, I don't have to, I, I can accept that there's differences in the gospel accounts um, without having to, to reconcile them, yeah. to reconcile those in, in a way that, that wouldn't make sense to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, I can accept that there are differences. Yeah. Um, and, th and that I can appreciate those differences, that, that um, the, the differences can lead me to see, can lead me to, to hear the gospel in a different way or to share the gospel in a different way um, because there's, there's not a, because there's an openness to that, that ambiguity. Um, yeah, I think like in today's day and age, I think it's, it's somewhat of a commonly accepted thing that you don't need perfect data to get trustworthy results. Like for example, you know, we're, we're dealing with the pandemic, we're dealing with the vaccine going out. There's a point where you could do enough experiments and get sufficient data to say, hey, this data is trustworthy. There, there's a clear trend here in the data that tells me, you know, I have a certain confidence level that I can work with. So we're ready to go to the public. Um, well, you know, just, just because there's some anomalies in the data, we don't dismiss the entire package of data, you know? So yeah. um, I, I think, it, within the within the public secular sphere, almost everyone that's rational has accepted that. But for some reason in theology, there's this sort of necessity to cling to this uh, um, inerrancy concept. Based on, uh, from what I've seen, I'm just this pure fear that if you allow a little bit of error here, the whole thing collapses because you don't know any other errors where they are and you don't, you cannot trust anything. But that's, that's not how things work in real life. Yeah. Well, and I think that, um, I mean, so in, in our, in our secular world, you're talking about margin of error yeah. and that, you know, that we, we accept margin of error and we accept different types of margin of error for a different, for, you know, with the margin of error that we would accept for a vaccine is very different than the margin of error that we accept for, um, you know, do I take an umbrella with me to work? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, uh, but, but you're right, we, we have this idea that, or we bring this assumption that there can be no margin of error in scripture because that would make it false. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I mean, I can see that where that comes from the fundamentalist modernist debates from a hundred years ago, um, where we're still dealing with that. I can see in um, evangelicalism where that's a major, it's a major point of authority that, you know, we have, we have, sorry, I'll, if I can be uncharitable for a moment, you'll have to forgive me because you're a Christian. Um, you know, that, that, that we, because we, because we can't get our hands on God, we, we can get our hands on a book. Yeah. And if we can make this book that's printed in English, be, be God for us, um, then it, that's where we, we can, we get our authority. Mm. Um, and that's, that that's a way that really mishandles scripture and God um, that um, I know is a caricature um, of, um, of those positions, but it's, it's, it's what I see, I'd say from a sociological side um, that, that we're looking for replacements for God. And sometimes that replacement is the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just to kind of go back to, to some of the previous things we said. Yeah. I think even even this perspective that you're sharing right now, um, it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, your understanding and others' understanding about how knowledge is accessed. You know, um, because you know, if if somebody has this sense where 
guided us, speaks directly to the soul and, and gives us this enlightenment as to, to know certain things. You tend to trust things differently uh, or maybe from the Catholic tradition where there's kind of a, uh, what would be the word, like a, a tag team's endorsement, so to speak, where you, you know, you have your scripture, then you have the natural theology that backs up the things you've, yeah. you know, so there's, there's two sources that kind of overlap and reinforce each other. Um, and then coming further towards the modern side, you don't have those those same levels of authority. So because of that, there's more uncertainty, and you're you're dealing with the with the data differently. So, um, and one of the things I've kind of brought up is how do we test our starting assumptions here? Mm-hmm. Because we That's... we're kind of stuck, you know, like we don't really have a way to prove it one way or another. Yeah. And that is something that I, it's a note that I made early on in the paper where, where you talked about, um, you know, if we have our model, we can predict, let's see where, what, how do you say it? Um, um, yeah. <laughs> I can't find it, but, but, but um, you, you, um, you're talking about with this project that if, if we can establish our model, we can predict the outcome. Oh yeah, that's that's right after the charts with the with the yeah. degrees there, um, with the scale thing. Okay, I, yeah, the, the, yeah, okay, got it. Yep, um, the yeah it gives us insight to the particular theological terms by tradition as well as the ability to make predictions regarding the future trajectory of any, any given model. I this is. I said I was postmodernist. This is the modernist in me speaking now. I really want that to be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be possible. Maybe just as a as a um, as a researcher, I want that. Yeah. Um, uh, but but that's I, that's true in different ways for different models. Because like, for example, if you if you work with some of the more traditional perspectives, if you give somebody the starting points, you could kind of predict fairly closely how they're going to end up. But yeah. so the modern perspective, you give them the starting points and they have a, a like a plethora of directions they could take them yeah. because of the very nature of the starting point, you know? But I think, I, and so, I mean, that jumped out to me and, and you know, I, I, I think that it's, I, I think we just, maybe we just have to calibrate our expectation for that um, because, because I do think that you would, you would have something in there about, um, uh, you know, that if, if you were able to see that in someone's theological model, the... Um, uh, you know that scripture has this pri- has this primary place. Sola Scriptura is the the, the epistemological core. Mm-hmm. Um, if you when you have an event like the Dead Sea Scrolls, yeah. for example, and how that that event changed biblical studies. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were to have a similar Dead Sea Scrolls type event, how would how would that affect that you could predict how this this affects um, uh, that that theological group. Um, if, I, I think like just I mean this will probably require a longer conversation, but I think the fundamentalist model is very rigid and has a very hard time with that. But the model I'm kind of sharing with the limited errancy thing has more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it doesn't have the flexibility you would have within a new orthodox or liberal model, but at least you kind of you know, bend around. Like, for example, let's say we, we come to overwhelming evidence that an entire book of the Bible is just, it's it's not trustworthy, it's not dependable, it's not original, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't take away all the other data we have to work with, and yeah. we can make adjustments for that, so. And, it may, and maybe smaller things that, that you can see by understanding that model, you can understand where you might have trouble with, with um, uh, I mean, the example you gave of having another, if we had another gospel up here, um, yeah. that it, it, that's one potential thing, but even like in understanding how a particular model will understand theological, biblical scholarship, like Bart, yeah. Bart Ehrman and the work that he's done on Gnostic gospels um, is not going to be well received in that theological model. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have I have my own issue with Bart Ehrman, so I'm not here as his cheerleader. But um, uh, that that that's going to be be an issue. Um, yeah. Or or um, uh, more contempor- other contemporary issues, such as the effects of um, 
of racialization mm-hmm. um, on or gender on our biblical interpretation. Um, because those things get to because those things are are challenging to the source, they're treated differently than um, than how in how other traditions would would affect yeah. them. Um, yeah. in, a, in, in a Catholic tradition, for example, where you have more um, more authority given to the um, magisterium and the the the, um, the the tradition of interpretation, yeah. um, that there might be a change in the or there might be be a, be a change in the text via translation mm-hmm. or authorization, um, but that's not going to change every other part of authority. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then you take that into a, a liberal. We'll say, um, you, you take that same thing to my church, and you know, in our Bible study, we're going to have ten people in that room, and we're all going to read the text in ten different ways, mm-hmm. and that doesn't bother us at all. Yeah. So, <laughs> because we're, because we're we're using that that source differently, yeah. and that, um, but but that can give you some ways to to start to see, you know, if this is your model, if this is your epistemological model. Um, by knowing where you fit, you can you can uh, you can anticipate how that will will develop and, and progress. Um, data about biblical literacy in in the West. Um, what does that mean for different traditions? Can we predict that based on? Like, can we take that data, plug that into our our model, and see what does that mean for for these traditions? Um, um, the the changing landscape of biblical scholarship as more more women and more people of color, more people from the global south yeah. are involved in academic biblical studies. Um, how did how is that going to change these um, these communities based on their epistemology? Yeah. How how does a new translation of the uh, how does a new English translation um, affect some churches a lot? And other churches don't notice, yes. um, you know, that, that all of that, um, you know, comes into play th- that there are lots of things that can affect us in, in lots of things that already are affecting us. Um, and not just some bombshell. You know, we've discovered a fragment of the gospel of. Maybe we discovered you. Yeah. Well, my, my, this is a, this is a cul-de-sac, but, but my, um, my my curiosity lately is that that Q is not a document, but it's the oral tradition of the women in the early church, <laughs> and that um, that obviously they didn't write it down because they didn't need to. But in an oral storytelling culture, um, Q are those stories that were held onto by the community. Yeah. So that's why they're similar, and that. But being the, well, I guess this is where the the, the social dynamics come into play is that that um, because our our biblical studies, biblical scholarship community is largely male, and they they are writers. They they expect that things are written down, mm-hmm. and they don't operate in an oral storytelling culture. Anyway, that's a that that'll be a different conversation for a different day. That when we when, when when we say Q, there is just as much evidence that it's the oral storytelling culture of the women than that than that there's an actual document floating around. Yeah. That's a, a critical critique of a critical critique. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why that's why we can have so much fun talking about it. And but sorry to, to get back to the point. Um, but something so something like like raising that as a possibility. If you ha- if if you have an, an epistemological model that says the the received text is canon. Yeah. Nothing can be added to the received text. Nothing can be taken away from the received text. Um, that if if that's significant to your source, you're going to treat that speculation mm-hmm. in a very different way than someone who the received text carry carries less weight than the the social commentary, um, the hypothetical, the innovation, um, the history of tradition. Um, would have to be if my if if my epistemology is based on the the um, the 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 new revised standard version according to the year 1971 whenever you know whenever that if that is the received text nothing about how the bible was made changes that because i have my received text yeah yeah um 
Well, I think we're coming up on the hour. Is there any other major elements you yeah, want? Yeah, let me to um, let me just scan through here really quick. Um, I, I think that we covered most of it. I I um, on page fifteen. Um, you say, in the end, however, work with just two possibilities. Either the Greek philosophy does align with Christianity or it does not. Um, I, I don't like that. <laughs> sorry, um, what are you reading? What are you sorry, reading? Page 15. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, I think that it's a false dichotomy. Um, I, I think that the... No, no. Um, yeah, sorry. I didn't write that. Well. I'm talking about their dichotomy. Like. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, Some of yeah, these notes we've already talked about some, so you'll see that. Um, data is another one you'll see. Um, uh, on page 19, you talk this the paragraph that starts even fundamentalist scholars. Yes. And you talk about the hermeneutical spiral in there. Um, mm -hmm. You you mention it, but it, it's footnote 69. You mentioned it, but then you don't come back to it. And I think that this this concept of hermeneutical spiral is gonna can can do a lot for connecting the dots between our source, our priority, and our method. Yeah. Um, I love the hermeneutical spiral. So, yeah, so it, I just just I'm using it a little bit different than what it actually the way it's been used because uh -huh. it's the hermeneutical spiral is between the text and the reader, original text and the original culture, and our version of the text and our uh -huh. culture. And it's this back and forth, but I'm using it kind of in terms of like the the entire body of data versus the specific localized body of data. So yeah, but I, I know. So it, the it, it might be good to 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 read some on the hermeneutical spiral outside of um, uh, biblical interpretation and theology, because um, it's also a concept in anthropology and sociology. Mm -hmm. um, so that um, I think, but I think that will help to kind of bring those ideas together yeah. um <clears throat> i mean you'll, you'll see these notes that come through here um the yeah we've talked about a lot of this i liked i liked your end section more than your beginning okay um so i i don't know if the um that there might be some things that you, some of the ways that you summarize the paper, I'm looking specifically on page 23 and where you start. In summary, um, it took you 23 pages to get a really clear expression of what your project is. Mm -hmm. um, and so so just, I do, I do some work to kind of um, see how, how well you, you, def, you spend, I think you spend a lot of time defining the problem and then you don't get to the you don't get to the solution at the beginning. You have to get through the, this middle section first for that. Um, um, page thirty-five, your bottom paragraph is great. Um, the of course, unlike other fields of study where people must come to terms with multiple competing perspectives at the same time, um, that I think that's that really to me kind of sums up yeah. why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then page um, 36, um, it allows us to better understand our own position as we contrast with other perspectives. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's why we're doing it. Um, um, yeah, and it, yeah, I've got a couple other notes in there just for, for some things. Um, if you haven't written down, feel free to send them to me. And yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll just send them to you instead of, of, of coming through. And then we can always um, chat back and forth about that um, as you go. But I mean, I, I, like I just said, I mean, the ability, taking the time to, to clarify our positions um, helps us understand ourselves better, helps us understand each other better. And all of that ultimately is for a missiological purpose um, yeah. for us, for us being more united as Christians um, without having to all believe the same thing and do mm -hmm. the same thing. Um, and for us being able to, to love each other and love others better. And because yeah. we're not, we're not, we're, we're able to see each other as who we really are and not through our, our own filters.
um, that that um, I mean, if if you're if if someone who is conservative is looking at me as a liberal through their 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 lens, of course I'm going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. But of course they're going to be wrong to me because they're not working through that same lens. Yeah. Um, but being able to, and I think theology has that. Um, theology has a greater potential for that because we are we are so trained in our silos, um, our, our traditions, our confessional communities, um, our schools of thought um, that 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 we we do so much internal work that we don't do the relational work with each other. So that's, so I think that there's, um, you know, as, as you're getting the ball rolling on this, I think that it's, it, you're, you're thinking down the right direction and I'm excited to see what comes out of that. Uh, sounds good, Michael. I, I really enjoyed hearing your side of things. Uh, I think one of, one of my other major projects with this is to see if it's possible to, to come up with this, criteria of viability, like to, to say, okay, here are multiple models that are different and we might disagree with, by the, but they seem to be viable. They seem to possibly work. We haven't come up with sufficient data to fully dismiss them. So they're still in the <coughs> And to have some kind of conversation, obviously not just us, cause it has to be on a wider scale, but um, about what would be those criteria of viability and how do we determine what, what still works, what is outdated, what, is just not yeah. functional anymore and so on. And, and, that you're, and that we're able to say like, the reason why I don't think it works is because of my epistemological difference. Yeah. That it's, it's not a, it's not based on, it's not a, it's not a moral decision. It's not mm-hmm. a, a cultural decision. Um, I think that we just have a different epistemological set. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that that can also help us to see each other better. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks a lot for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, I'm going to stop the recording and then just hang on for a second. Yeah. So thanks again.